Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. In today's episode, we have Sydney Kierstad, the mastermind behind Smart Game Piano. If you don't know what Smart Game Piano is, it's essentially the premier place online to learn how to play video game music on piano. At this point, Sydney's been running her business as an online educator through Smart Game Piano for about six years. And in that time, she has accumulated thousands of students from all over the world and also has recorded over 500 video game music tutorials at this point. Considering Sydney's this interesting mix of entrepreneur and online educator and piano player and composer, I thought it'd be really interesting to have her on the show to talk all about what it's like to be an online educator, how she motivates her students, staying mentally healthy, how you can stay motivated, especially during the boring parts of becoming a full-time artist, and many, many other things. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Sydney Kierstad of Smart Game Piano. So I'm very curious. The first thing I'm curious about is something that I'm definitely interested in as like a fellow creator and artist musician sort is talking about talent because mm-hmm. so many people in our space fall prey to the idea of like, oh, well, I'm not talented, so therefore I can't do this thing. I'm curious what you've seen and how you've kind of circumvented that, what your beliefs are on talent, anything like that. Um, the biggest change, in my opinion, for that was reading this book called The Art of Learning. I'm like totally blanking on the author, but it was kind of like my Bible for a year back in 2018. And it was basically just how like how humans best learn the most successful, the most talented humans are the ones who put in a lot of time and effort into their craft. And I like just the more I learned about it, the more it was people who value the effort and help like their students, whether they're um, kids or adults, like, hey, you did a really good job at this versus, oh, you're really so smart. They're, they're going to be told, oh, my effort is what makes me good at what I do. And it's not this inherited quality that I'm not in control of. And like, it's so hard to unteach that because I know like, especially in America, we went through a time where the teachers were encouraged to be like, oh, you're so talented. You're so smart. You know, positive affirmations, which are well-intentioned, but that caused like a big generation of people feeling, oh, because it's not perfect. And because it wasn't easy, I'm not good at it and I'm not talented. And I hate that. Totally. Yeah. And it's that book, uh, Art of Learning by Josh Waitzkin, I believe is the name of the author. I think there's so. three authors. There's so maybe he's authors. one of okay. them. Yeah. Okay. There's okay. Like two scientists and a, like a writer. Yeah. 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 It's, it's fascinating because it shows that there's a lot of grit kind of involved mm-hmm. with learning anything. And you've been, how long have you been playing piano at this point? Oh gosh. Um, so I started lessons when I was six years old. So all of my life, like 24 years. So Basically like. your whole life. And yeah. it's at the point where I'm sure a lot of people have come up to you and said, 
oh, you're so talented. Mm-hmm. It, it, like yeah. in a sort of thing where you just walked up to a piano one day and it was easy. Like you just yeah. killed it without without any issue. So when people are just starting out, especially as an adult where maybe they didn't have the upbringing with piano, what do you tell them when they start to learn? Because they're maybe surrounded by adults who have played their whole lives. So they mm-hmm. have more time in it and they feel, oh, well, this person's already so good. I could never catch up. What do you tell those people, those new learners, so they can feel really good about getting into it? That's so hard because everybody's different. Um, Some people really thrive off of being told, it's fine that you suck right now. Um, Other people don't. (laughs) So like, but that first kind is like my favorite. Like, it's fine if you suck right now. It's like, oh, cool, great. But most of the time, like, that's what I tell them. What you just said is like, you did not see the hours and hours and hours and hours that person that you admire put in. And that's kind of on purpose. Like, that's like a private little sacred space for you to make mistakes to try out new things, to sound bad. And nobody thinks that's how that works in any sort of craft or art. Yeah. And when you kind of start off being okay with sucking, that kind of makes things a lot easier (laughs) for sure. Right. (laughs) It hurts a lot less. It hurts so, so, so much less when you make those mistakes. But I'm sure that frustration still comes up. That frustration Mm -hmm. still happens. For someone even as practiced as you, I'm sure, when you're learning a new song or transcribing something, something like that, does that still come up where you're like, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, with worse swear words, though. (laughs) So, like, I was actually thinking about this the other day. Like, I still have moments of imposter syndrome where Mm. I look at a piece that I want to learn. I'm just like, I'm not good enough for this. And then like I go through it little by little, especially a long, difficult piece, learn it in chunks. And then by the time like you go back to it, like, oh, actually, I'm great. I forgot, Um, you know, and that's just I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's personality, my upbringing, but even the most amazing, talented people feel inadequate. Like everybody feels inadequate at some point. Yes. Yes, it's true. Yeah. Literally everybody, even the top, top, top people do all Mm -hmm. the time. I'm curious then because you also, because of the massive community you have with Smart Game Piano, do you find like that community helps kind of push people through the sticking points of, oh man, I can't learn this song. I'm going to quit. Like, do you find that that community is really important to make it so that those sticking points go away? You can get through it. Yeah, it's especially with what I do. And I think with what you do, though, although I know I know less about like the sound effects community, especially with piano, especially with writing. I once had a teacher tell me when I was in college learning music, oh, your, your college career is going to be really lonely. And I didn't understand at first, but it was because you spend a lot of time in the practice room. And as a pianist, you're not doing ensemble work unless you actively seek it out. Whereas like, you know, if you're you're a violinist or, you know, a trumpeter, you're going to be in a band, you're going to be an orchestra. And especially with composition where you're you're sitting at your desk, um, just scratching your head of like, what hasn't been written yet? (laughs) You know? And so especially with piano nowadays, like there's a lot of resources out there that are like, oh, you can learn in the privacy and the comfort of your home. You can learn in 20 minutes, which is all great. That's all fine and stuff. But like being surrounded by like-minded people who have the same desires, the same passions, who love to geek out about the same junk is so motivating. And it's just a high. It's so fun to talk to people about that. And that's why I encourage people, find your tribe. Even if you feel like you're new and not worthy of a tribe, like you are, like you just got, you got to find it. Totally. Yes, 100%. And I think that community, like we were kind of mentioning, helps with that consistency too. Mm -hmm. Because it's the sort of thing when you make friends and they're all practicing 
Yeah. You don't want to fall off as much. Like if you do fall <laughs> yeah. off, you're going to feel really bad. You're going to be like, oh God, I need to get back to it. Sydney's <laughs> posting all these Instagram posts saying, did you right. practice today? I got to get back on this. Good. I mean, sometimes sometimes shame is a good motivator. Not all the time, but but sometimes it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's funny because I'm sure you have encountered a lot of people who have said like growing up, oh my God, my piano teacher was so mean or like mm -hmm. things like that. I hear that all the time from musicians who are getting back into it as adults or like continuing on their studies. And they find a teacher like you who's has a much kinder approach about oh, things, thanks. a much more holistic approach. You know, you talk about mental health, you talk about taking care of yourself and with mm -hmm. the kind of veil of piano you have like this nice trojan horse where you're like hey learn piano but also it's going to help you in every other aspect of your life turns out look at this so i'm <laughs> curious like where did that come from because you do such a good job of that oh my gosh that was like that's such like a sinister positive metaphor i'm going to start using that that's great <laughs> honestly so smart game piano started in 2015 and that was like me trying to figure out like okay like i love video game music i do love teaching how do I incorporate that? And then 2017, I had a horrible tragedy in my life. And that was something that kind of made me talk to like people who I was talking to smart game piano with. And the idea that was brought up is like, we should also incorporate like mental well-being and health when it comes to studying music. And at first I thought I was like the least qualified person for that, just because I was still very much a mess, still very much I'm trying to figure out how to be well again. Mm -hmm. But it turns out like that mindset has not only helped with how I teach, it helps with how I practice, how I study, how I write, how I exercise. <laughs> it's it's kind of amazing. Like piano quite literally was a big factor in, for me becoming well again. And that's not something anybody else can take away from me. And I want other people to have that too. Nice. It's hard because music can be such a thing that destroys your self-esteem. As I'm sure we're both musicians, we know. Yes. But at the same time, like those those moments of being unsure of yourself are are so worth it for when you do have that thing that you can just create, you know? Yeah. And like in between those moments, those highs where you're like, oh, I just did this thing. I learned this piece. I wrote this piece of music, whatever. There's so much boredom. Right? There's <laughs> yeah, so much yeah. just staring at your screen or staring at sheet music mm -hmm. and like finding out fingerings or putting mm -hmm. in various MIDI notes and being like, that still sounds bad. Why? <laughs> okay, let's try French horn and just just constant grind of figuring yeah. that stuff out. So how have you found that you and or your students kind of get through those moments of just long periods of nothing, then a cool accomplishment, long periods of nothing, then a cool accomplishment? How have you gotten through those? Uh, for me, like it sounds so just a boring answer, but literally talking to other people about my insecurities, like, and that's like, oh, I don't want to do that. They can't know that I'm human. Like, <laughs> spoilers, we all are. <laughs> and it's fine. When I'm not happy about how a piece went out, or I'm not happy about this one out, like I talked to somebody like, I don't know what to do about this. And what's great about that is you're going to have like, you know, not just these two responses, but these are like my two favorite responses. You're going to get somebody who's going to give you something really practical. Like, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you listened to this person? Uh, this is how I practice. And you're like, oh my God, that's really helpful. Or another response you could get is, you know, just that emotional support. Like, and then this person is like the person who reminds you of your accomplishments. Like, remember when you did this and it sounded great? Like, you don't suck. Like, 
it's it's just those like little affirmations that help remind you of your successes. And again, that's where like the community comes into play. And it doesn't necessarily have to be someone in your musical community. It could it could be a friend who knows that you're musical and understands how hard you work. Those people are super super important too. Yeah, yeah, it's extremely valuable, especially to stay the course. Yeah, because those down moments, woof, they yeah. can be down for sure. Yeah. So I'm curious then, kind of switching over to the more business side of things. You, you started Smart Game Piano, and at the time, 2015-ish, the very idea of starting like this online kind of piano teaching academy wasn't a hot topic. Like now, online courses are such a common thing, right? Sure, yeah. But back then, not really. It was. It was still a thing, but it wasn't this common thing that everyone was told to do like it is yeah. now. So when you <laughs> right. started building it, what were the initial struggles, and how have that changed now that the community's kind of exploded? The initial struggles for me personally was like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like I had a degree in scoring for film and multimedia, which you'd get a little bit of business, a little bit of like legal right. stuff, but it's mostly just like, what does the YouTube algorithm like, which is something there, there aren't classes on. Right. It was a lot of tech stuff too. I didn't know anything about lighting, cameras, stuff like that. For me, I like I was always fascinated with YouTube. Like I was always interested in the world of YouTubers and like how these people became self-made just gurus of whatever. Mm -hmm. you know, um, and we still have that. And for me, I, I think that was the thing that just made sense to me at the time, because I loved YouTube, because I love video game music, because I love piano. I'm like, okay, let's just combine the three, see what happens. So, and I, I got this started with a business partner who it basically does like the not cool stuff and let me do the cool stuff. And he, uh, Nate, he was super, super important to helping me stay consistent. Like, okay, we're going to do two tutorials a week. I'm going to research into this, research into that. So again, that, that accountability helped a whole lot. And that for me was like a fun, because as much as I love video game music, like Smart Game Piano was really what introduced me to how big the video game music community is. It's gigantic and everybody knows everybody and it's the best. Yes, yes, totally, totally. And now that it's bigger, now that it's kind mm -hmm. of grown, you have, how many pieces do you even have? Do you have a number of how many tutorials oh you have on? I was literally, so I was like literally looking that up now. It's like over, oh my God, everything hurts. It's over <laughs> 500. Oh my God. Yeah, I was, gosh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh Send help. <laughs> 500 tutorials is insane by any metric, whether it be YouTube, whether it be any, literally anything. It could be yeah. 500 tutorials on how to cut a watermelon, anything even like simple. But that's that takes work. That takes serious effort and some serious like scale and having a team, I'm assuming. Like you've mm -hmm. probably built that out over time. Yeah. So now that it's kind of grown, you have you have team members, you have 500 plus tutorials on your website. Now what is the kind of struggle or what's the kind of stuff that you think about more? Because at this point, I'm sure you have the tech stuff figured out. You have kind of the basics figured out. What do you think about more now? More, I think about just like uh, the quality of my product in terms of its longevity. Like a yeah. lot of my older tutorials I want to destroy because they're <laughs> bad. They're so bad. But a lot of it is too like, okay, how else can I expand this to other needs? Actually, Smart Game Piano is making a change right now where we're going from our old website to a new hosting service that's going to be a little bit more user friendly. And I'm also thinking about other courses, Ooh. courses about sheet music, courses about music theory. Because what I, again, what I love about the students who sign up, there's a lot of composers, producers, um, songwriters that sign up and they're like, I want to know more about this. I want to know about this. So I'm just like, well, 
clearly I got to deliver. And the thing that has me skeptical on it is that there's already a lot of great resources for music theory, how to read sheet music. But at the same time, it's definitely, I think I can bring something of value, especially with sheet music, because I really don't like how sheet music is taught typically. Um, And I had my mind changed on that the last job I have. So that's something I want to put out there in the world. Interesting. Okay, there's a few things I want to dive in there. But the first thing is I always like it when musicians or accomplished people in general kind of challenge an established thing. So you just mentioned that you don't like how sheet music is taught. So I want to hear more about that. Why? What is the main method? What is it that you don't like about that? So this is how I was taught too. And most people are taught is like you go to a sheet and you basically memorize every good boy does fine and face for trouble cliff and all that stuff, which is fine and all, but that really locks you into C major. Mm. And it really locks you into memorizing rather than seeing patterns. And granted, a lot of these books, like I'm thinking of the Alfred series books for kids, they do a good job at introducing intervals as well as the notes. However, they keep you in C position for so long. And it's so boring. It's just so tedious and I hate it. This old job I had, uh, I worked at the Piano Guitar Institute up in Fort Collins and my boss there really, really changed my perspective. He was like, okay, we teach reading intervallically. Like you teach them, this is what a step looks like. This is what a third Mm -hmm. looks like. This is what a fourth looks like. And so that way you can literally pick up their hands and move them to G position. Like, okay, now play the same song, read the same music. You're just here now. And he's like, boom, you just had somebody transposing and they're five years old and playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. I'm like, oh my God. Like, you know, like that, (laughs) that kind of like rocked my world with how that was being taught. And so that's something I definitely want to explore more and teach more. Um, because everybody loves those dumb little acronyms. Totally. But it's like memorizing lines and spaces is like memorizing the dictionary, whereas learning to read intervals and learn chord shapes is like learning phonetics. You know, yeah. it's just so much more useful. Yeah. And it's funny how one small switch, like one small switch, the sentence basically that your boss told you, like, here's what we do instead, can completely change how someone learns, how you learn, how you totally. teach other people. It's amazing. That's why I love the educational space and people like yourself so much. Cause like, I'm sure you said one off <laughs> sentences to people that you didn't think were much of anything that yeah. they're like, oh my God, everything's different <laughs> yeah. now. And that's kind of the coolest part. And I'm curious because you've just mentioned before the sheet music thing that, you know, community members would come to you like, oh, I want to learn about this. I want to learn about, you know, reading sheet music. I want to learn about songwriting or whatever it is. How is it that you're keeping in touch with them? Because I'm sure you have lots of people in there. How are you staying in touch? How are you talking to them? How are you getting this data from them saying like, okay, you (laughs) want this? And how do you parse it to know, oh, this is what I should do as opposed to saying, I'm not the right fit for this. How do you know? That's really good question. So when people sign up for Smart Game Piano, um, they can do a one-on-one call with me. Not everybody takes up on it, but uh, we have like a 15-minute conversation. And part of it is to make them feel welcome and comfortable to see kind of where they're at. But selfishly, it's that's how I gather data. Like, uh, what songs do you want to learn? What are your struggles? What are your goals here? And what they all have in common is that they're all nerds. Great which is great. Uh, (laughs) Like nerds are welcome here. And sometimes when I do get students who are more of, oh, I just want to learn piano chops so I can prove, you know, like my writing. I'm like, great, this is awesome. Like I've got literally 500 songs, (laughs) pick a couple and and just learn a few, get your chops up. Um, And then when other people are more towards, oh man, like I really want to get into like getting joining a jazz band or learning improvisation, like I'm I'm classically trained and I'm kind of dabbling in jazz right now, but it's definitely not my strength. So I tell them like, hey, like friend, as much as I want to be that teacher for you, I can't. 
that's, that's not my, my wheelhouse there. So it, it really depends on what my strengths are. But I am excited to cater more towards the people who want to do more producing, songwriting, composing, because like that's what my degrees are in. And when I get composer nerds, it's like, oh, oh yes, like-minded people. It's great. <laughs> They're your favorite people. And it's cool that you kind of, I'm assuming you just attract those sorts of people anyway, just by what you share online and how you kind of show up, right? They just yeah. kind of, that community kind of flocked around you without probably you trying a ton at first, at least. I don't really promote my own work on Smart Game Piano and composers show up anyway. So like, I don't know if it's just because like the video game music world, like just attracts those kind of people. That's what I'm assuming because a lot of people want to become video game composers. Totally, <laughs> It's really <Yes>. competitive. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge thing. And I, yeah, because you do so much because you run a business, you you teach people, you do those 15 minute calls, which I'm sure are plentiful from time to time when like a mm -hmm. bunch of people sign up, like, okay, this is my month or whatever, like some period of time where <laughs> right. you just have a bunch of those. Yeah. And you're, I'm sure you're always filming new tutorials. You're always practicing. What is your time split like? Is there one? Is there a routine? Or do you just say, ah, fuck it. And you just kind of do whatever, whenever. It, what is the kind of routine you follow? Oh, are we allowed to swear? I'm going to swear. I just did. You're totally allowed <laughs> to. <laughs> good. Good. Because that is my true self. Okay, good. So for me, I can't do anything. I can't remember anything that I'm supposed to do unless I write it down. I am a nice. old school that way. I have to write down, okay, I got to do this, got to do this. I've actually recently changed how I've been doing that um, just because I've got a lot of like tasks that are like backlog. Um, and so instead of like saying, do this many on Monday, I, I'm, I've been keeping track of like, oh, I got eight done on Monday. I got seven done on Tuesday. Nice. And that's nice. been just a lot kinder. And like, turns out I actually will get stuff done because in the other way I would get zero done. I don't know why. I'm not going to psychoanalyze it. It's just kind of <laughs> what happened. And it's it's just a lot of it's a lot of setting schedules. It's a lot of being flexible too. One thing that I've mostly just recently tried to be better at is balancing my work slash social life. Before in like my darker moments, I would use work as kind of like my foundation, which isn't inherently bad. I wasn't doing heroin or anything like that. Right. So, you know, there are worse things. But like that got into the habit of like I put all my self-worth into my work. And if I wasn't doing work, I really disliked myself. And that was just a vicious cycle of like my energy was depleted and I didn't work. So I've gotten better at like, oh, I'm actually going to take Thursday off and work Sunday instead. And that works out great. And some days I'm like, oh, I'm going to pull an all nighter on Monday and work all the way through Wednesday and then like take the next two days off. And I thought I was a more of a Hermione Granger person where I like had that strict <laughs> schedule. Turns out I'm, I got a little bit more Ron in me. So that's like, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, I think that's true of most artists too, is just like they kind of find their own way of doing it. There's no one perfect journaling calendar whatever system yeah. to make it work. But I really like what you said is that this method that you kind of found yourself is that it's way kinder to yourself. Because I think a lot mm -hmm. of people will use their schedule as an excuse to beat themselves up. They'll, they'll write 20 yeah. things down to do that day and say like, well, I only checked off two. I'm a terrible person. Like I didn't do everything that I need to do. Yeah. I didn't do all these things. Yeah. And I think part of it is too, and I'm totally guilty of this. It's so much easier to make those tasks seem really doable when you write them down. And I think I personally, I forget like, oh, that actually takes like three hours. So like, be careful putting like five other tasks with that one. That's actually what I was going to ask about is like, are you thinking about kind of time and energy considerations too? Because there's also emotional no. considerations. <laughs> like, <laughs> I should, I don't. 
honest. I love working it. on I love it. it. <laughs> it's, it's good because like it's a always in progress thing for all of us. It's so easy to look at someone who's like established like yourself and say, she's got it all figured out. She does not. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, though. Like there's always stuff to learn. There's always ways to kind of get better and yeah. figure new things out. And sometimes you screw up. I've done it. Mm-hmm. We've all done it. So yeah. when you do have those kind of moments where everything is maybe overwhelming, right? You have 10 uh-huh. million things going on. You have all these projects. You have all these tutorials to film. You have new projects now and you have all these meetings and you're parsing it all. <laughs> do you do anything to make it so that you know exactly what to come back to? Like, do you have a core thing that you always come back to? Like, oh, okay, no matter what, I'm always filming two tutorials a week or no matter what, I'm mm-hmm. always doing xyz things with my business like i'm always doing outreach or i'm always like refining Mm -hmm. getting people on board through youtube like is there something you like a core that you always do no matter what the tutorials is a really good example of that Uh, basically getting two tutorials recorded that means i gotta arrange them that means i gotta make the sheets and those things that's like my bread and butter like i love arranging it's it's so much fun like that's where i could get put on my teacher hat slash my arranger hat Those are my cores. So like I'm actually like revamping my thumbnails too for the YouTube channel. And so, yeah, it's it's fun. Like I'm so good at Photoshop now. That's been a good one for me. Like if I'm feeling burnt out and I can just like, oh, let's get a picture of Geralt and then like let's put that on a thumbnail. And it's, it's just a nice way where I still feel productive and it is productive, but it requires less brain cells. Yeah, I was listening to an interview with a psychologist and he said that one of the biggest mistakes young people make is not learning a skill that takes less like brain power than the main thing that they do. And Neat. I think you just okay. solved that for you. Okay, uh, good. <laughs> so like, I didn't it's know. <laughs> it's a good thing, right? Because like it's the same for me, you know, if I'm doing video game sound stuff all the time or posting whatever. Mm-hmm. I will always go back to just like, all right, I'm just going to like be in this synth and poke around and make garbage. Like, let me just make absolute trash with this for a day. And that takes no brain power. And it's always good to have that. And you can recover much easier. But I'm sure there's a part of you and there's a part of me that thinks of this too is, oh, it's not perfect though. I can't work on this. I can't finish this. I can't post this. I can't do this thing. Yeah. Even if you're in that mode of like, I'm just going to make trash. There's still some part of you that will think, oh, but it's not. Yeah. Eh. So what do you, what do you say to people who kind of deal with that kind of perfectionism? What do you say to yourself when it comes up to you too? Yeah. Cause that is something I struggled with a lot too. Um, because it wasn't absolutely perfect. I have to delay it another six weeks where it would have right. been better for me to just post that wet, hot garbage today, you know, which I'm sure it's, I'm sure that's very Zen garbage. That sounds amazing. Like I, I need to get a synth. That sounds great. I really want one. Basically it, and this is kind of like where the whole mental health and mental wellness things come, comes in again. You have to learn to be uncomfortable because having something not being perfect is being really vulnerable. It's it's showing you that you don't necessarily know what you're doing. You can't always double check and catch your mistakes. You have to learn to be okay with failure. You have to learn to be okay with being wrong. You have to learn to be okay with being disliked. And those are all super, super uncomfortable. Yeah. And that is something I struggle with. Like I, It's so embarrassing to say it out loud but I want everybody to like every single thing I put out there on the internet. (laughs) That's not how that works. And it's, it takes up way, way too much mental energy. It's exhausting. It's stupid. And part of that you can practice while you're crafting, but other times you just have to practice while you're sitting in your chair and hating yourself, 
you know, like, (laughs) and it's fine. Like, it's fine to hate yourself for a little bit, but be like, I'm human. Gary's human too. What does Gary know anyway? You know, like, (laughs) I don't know, Gary. (laughs) Gotten a lot of negative posts from Gary, I see. Gary. Yeah, exactly. We, we all know a Gary. We all know one. I'm sorry to all the Garys out there. <laughs> so like, actually, that is that is good. That's a really good point because you're a pretty public person, right? Like you have mm-hmm. a huge Instagram following. You have a big YouTube following. Though I'm sure you get dumb things said to you <laughs> on the reg, which is such yeah. a damn shame. It's so stupid. <laughs> it's such a problem. And mentally, I'm sure it sucks every time because it does for me. I've never gotten used to it. There's no part of me that's still like, Oh, I am completely unhurt or completely neutral towards this. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. true of you. Maybe you're like immune to it at this point. Um, definitely immune to some things. At, at first, it was really hard. And like you still get the you suck posts every now and right. then. One piece of advice that really helped me that I think I got from Gary V or something like that. Like I follow entrepreneurs on Instagram. Gotta stay inspired. Yeah, you know, right. <laughs> and he said, which was really helpful for me at the time is like somebody took time out of their day to say something disparaging about you when they could have just been working on their own thing. And I was like, oh oh, oh my God, (laughs) like, that's so true. That was extremely, extremely helpful. Oh man, I see, I love it that like, there are those resources out there because we don't have to have these epiphany moments ourselves. We can get help from other people and use that and use those mantras. Cheat, get get wisdom from somebody else. It's totally fair, like you should. Yeah, I mean, that's the way wisdom is passed on, isn't it? Just yeah. from person to person, right? Yeah. Or like book to book, which is still person to person. It's it's yeah. never just in a vacuum of you meditating and mm-hmm. then be like, ah, oh, I have all wisdom. No, you have to kind of still be out there getting the slings and arrows thrown at you a bit yeah. to kind of yeah. deal with it. Absolutely. So considering you've kind of dealt with that and had all that stuff come up and you still keep going, do you have advice for people who are kind of in that phase where they're starting to become more public? Like maybe they want to do something similar to you, like they're showing off tutorials or they're making content or whatever, and they get dumb things said to them. Yeah. Do you have any advice for that or how to deal with it emotionally? Depends on who you are. If you're like a super, super sensitive person and it helps you to um, maybe delete a comment here or there, whatever. Like. Yeah. I'm only going to make, no one's going to make fun of you. Like it's, it's like, I wouldn't say do that always and forever because at that point that could turn into like getting rid of criticism. Right. And you do need to learn the difference between hate and criticism. Mm. Like if somebody is being critical, like, oh, I don't really like how that sounded. Like it felt too fast to me. That's criticism. That's opinion. It's whatever. Um, if someone tells you that your hair is stupid, like whatever you you can delete that that's fine <laughs> so learn the difference between that but if you're kind of a more person who oh gosh so um one thing that i had to grow to learn to like was to kill them with kindness mm. if you get a, a mean comment either don't respond or respond with kindness like if someone says hey you suck and you could say things like hey you know what i'm i'm hoping to learn from everything single thing i post because if you kind of like force yourself to be kind to someone, that can help you spin it into something constructive. Mm-hmm. And granted, not every single negative thing is going to be worth spending energy on that on. But if you think you could, you got the goods to spin something like that, try it. It's helpful. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And then you, you're making a, a negative a positive, And that's just a wonderful yeah. thing and, and a good skill to have. So mm-hmm. when you are kind of in this process, you're, you're doing this thing, you have all this stuff going on. For at least from my outside point of view, you're you're in this really interesting spot where you're like nonstop learning by doing. 
that is yeah. just what you're, you're just do it. You're in it. You're doing it. And you're learning mm -hmm. as you kind of go along. I think a lot of people like to pre-plan everything they do before they jump in and try to just yeah. be like, okay, if I'm going to do, let's say an online business, okay, it has to be perfect. I have to have like the perfect email list and I have to have the perfect blah, 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 whatever, YouTube channel, anything like that. Yeah. I just want to hit on something you said earlier, because you mentioned that your first few tutorials were terrible. My first YouTube videos were absolute terrible. My first games sure. that I worked on were absolute garbage. So I want you to like <laughs> hit on that a little bit more and talk about that initial phase where you weren't perfect when you first started and you yeah. kept going regardless. So was it the sort of thing where you just felt like, well, no one really notices anymore. No one like comes to you anymore and says, oh, your first videos were terrible. You're still terrible. Like, I doubt that comes up anymore. I doubt that ever no. comes up at all. So is it the sort of thing where you start to think like at the at the initial phase? I'm just going to keep doing this until I get good. Or is it the sort of thing where you're thinking, okay, with every single post I do, I'm going to tweak one thing. I want to see if that's a better way to do it. Like, how are you thinking about the growth process? Is it variables? Are you thinking of like, do you write specific things down of like, okay, this tutorial, I'm going to try X, Y, Z and see what people think. Or are you literally just flying by the seat of your pants saying, let's see what happens. And then you kind of get data that way. That one, yeah, well, <laughs> that one nice. was the second one. And I think that's more helpful to me because I used to be such a, a planner, such a this needs to be perfect right away. But the more I learned about, especially something like YouTube and social media, as you know, where there aren't books or courses, not really on not it. Really, yeah. And if there are, they become irrelevant quickly, yeah. which stinks, but is exciting at the same time. Right. <laughs> you know, yes. that's such a good question because at the beginning, I wasn't thinking about being better later. I was thinking about being good now, but not to the point where it was being perfect or I couldn't publish it. That mindset moved into next week. I was like, okay, how can I be perfect now? And like I learned from last week, but I wasn't thinking like, oh, this is going to benefit me next week. I was thinking of now. Right. Which, depending on what kind of person, if you are, if you're a future-oriented person, as I am, that actually could be a really beneficial thing for you. And if you're a more present-oriented person, first of all, I'm jealous of you. Um, and second <laughs> of all, like, try to like set yourself a goal of like, in the next video, I want this to be different. I think there's something to be said about doing things outside of your perspective on purpose, especially out of your thought process on purpose, like future versus present-oriented, because it yeah. really forces you to be empathetic toward, towards what people are receiving and to be a little bit more objective about your work. Yeah, yeah, that's that's good. And when you're in the process of improving, like after a year or whatever of improving, you look back at it, you feel kind of cool. You're like, yeah, oh, you do. like for you, like look at these better thumbnails. Like look at these, cool, <laughs> yeah. like I learned, I learned Photoshop real good. Look <laughs> yeah, at me. Exactly. It's a good feeling. It's, it's always worth that kind of, whether it be self-education or reaching out to someone like you and learning from someone like you, it's always yeah. worth that sort of, education mm -hmm. kind of no matter what and yeah. for those people who are in a spot where they're wondering okay I know I want to do musicy things whatever it may be sure. but I don't know what it is like I'm sure you hear that a lot like oh I, I want to play music but should I do video game sound should I do music should I be a yeah. performer blah, blah, blah. what do you recommend they do to kind of find what their thing is when they're kind of mm -hmm. breaking into this music art field in general yeah I heard a really good phrase out of a book I read a couple months ago. Uh, it was about like the art of practicing piano and it was really, really insightful. And one of my favorite phrases of that book was to chase your curiosity, yeah. which is a nice image. Yeah. And it's basically just gives you permission to go really deep into whatever 
sparks joy and gets you wanting, basically thirsty for more knowledge on something. And if that is, you just find yourself listening to rent on repeat, try like, okay, why do you like this so much? Is it, is it the script? Is it, is it the song? Is it the composer? Like learn a little bit more about rent and then figure out, oh, I just like musical theater, you know, like, or, or maybe you like whoever wrote that script. I don't know. Like be really, 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 really shameless about what you like. Because I found people who are really good at what they do, do not care if it's cool or not. <laughs> you yes. know, I had a dear friend who I went to um, grad school with. I was doing the film scoring program while he was doing concert composition program. And he's such a fabulous songwriter. He's really good at putting text to like a musical theater setting. And he used to be like so ashamed. Like, why? Why am I good at this? I don't want to be good at this. But I'm like, Michael, you're so good at it. Like, be good at it. <laughs> like, you know, and I kind of felt that way about teaching, to be honest, mm. when I discovered that I had a joy for teaching and it was something that people get value from my teaching, but I didn't want to be good at it because it was like the, oh, she wants to be a composer, mm. you know, another another woman just becoming a teacher. And I was like, damn it. Like, no, <laughs> I was like, I can't be a stereotype. But like. <laughs> Once you get over it, once you get over the labels, once you get over like this should be this, this should be this, like you're going to get so much better. Yes. So true. So, so, so true. So, and then you start to have fun with it, right? Yeah. And then you learn better when you're having fun with it, too, which is absolutely the best part of all of it. So to, to like kind of start wrapping up, I'm curious then if you could kind of sum up in a sentence or two what your definition of success was when you kind of first started off as a musician. It could be it could have been right when you started college, it could have been when you were six years old, whichever, how it's changed and what that is now, what your kind of definition of that is now, what would those be for when you started off and now? Oh, that's a really good question. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I think if you were to ask 18 year old me just going to school undergrad for music, what makes a successful musician? It would be someone who can play any piece, someone who could write the most beautiful music, somebody who is just top of their game and is a master of many things, you know, just someone. And what I hate about that old perspective I had, it's very much external, like people's value of you. And that's what I thought it was. Like if you're adored, if you're lauded, if you are sought out after labels and commissions, then you are successful. That's not true. <laughs> now, after everything with smart game piano and everything with my life, I would say Success is when you are, oh gosh, how do I want to say it concisely? Success is when you are happy, healthy, and hungry for more, mm. I would say, you know? Yeah. So it's more of a feeling than a state. Like you don't have 25 commissions or anything. It's more, yeah. I feel happy. I feel healthy. I'm hungry for more. Yeah. Like I like who I am, but I want to be a better version of myself. I'm eating vegetables and getting enough sleep for my body. And I'm so curious about what else I can do and what else is out there. And I want it to me. I like that. Yeah, that's that's really good. I really like that. Awesome. So to wrap up, where can people find out more about you? What are the websites? What are the handles? Give me all that good stuff. 
So you can find me and all of my tutorials and all these upcoming courses on smartgamepiano.com. All my tutorials, all parts one are for free on YouTube. So you can try them out. Lots of game tunes, lots of anime tunes. We all nerd out over there. It's really fun. You can find me on Instagram, posting odd stuff here and there. And sometimes I'm on Twitter, but Twitter's scary. So I yeah. just don't like it, you know? <laughs> it's a scary yeah. place. Twitter's <laughs> mean and angry. I don't like it. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, yeah, that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so, so, so much for doing this. I'm sure people are going to get like a ton of good advice from this. <laughs> I hope so. I really hope so that they get value out of this. I think they will. I think they're going to love it. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod.